The next day, since the commander wanted to find out exactly why Paul was being accused by the Jews, he released him and ordered the chief priests and all the Sanhedrin to assemble. Then he brought Paul and had him stand before them. Paul looked straight at the Sanhedrin and said, My brothers, I have fulfilled my duty to God in all good conscience to this day. At this, the high priest Ananias ordered those standing near Paul to strike him on the mouth. Then Paul said to him, God will strike you, you whitewashed wall. You sit there to judge me according to the law, yet you yourself violate the law by commanding that I be struck. Those who were standing near Paul said, You dare to insult God's high priest. Paul replied, Brothers, I did not realize that he was the high priest. For it is written, Do not speak evil about the ruler of your people. Then Paul, knowing that some of them were Sadducees and the others Pharisees, called out in the Sanhedrin, My brothers, I am a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee. I stand on trial because of my hope in the resurrection of the dead. When he had said this, a dispute broke out between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. The Sadducees say that there is no resurrection, and that there are neither angels nor spirits, but the Pharisees acknowledge them all. There was a great uproar, and some of the teachers of the law who were Pharisees stood up and argued vigorously. We find nothing wrong with this man. They said, What if a spirit or an angel has spoken to him? The dispute became so violent that the commander was afraid Paul would be torn to pieces by them. He ordered the troops to go down and take him away from them by force and bring him into the barracks. following night, the Lord stood near Paul and said, Take courage. As you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. The next morning, the Jews formed a conspiracy and bound themselves with an oath not to eat or drink until they had killed Paul. More than 40 men were involved in this plot. They went to the chief priests and elders and said, We have taken a solemn oath not to eat anything until we have killed Paul. Now then, you and the Sanhedrin petition the commander to bring him before you on the pretext of wanting more accurate information about his case. We are ready to kill him before he gets here. But when the son of Paul's sister heard of this plot, he went into the barracks and told Paul. Then Paul called one of the centurions and said, take this young man to the commander. He has something to tell him. So he took him to the commander. The centurion said, Paul, the prisoner sent for me and... Ask me to bring this young man to you because he has something to tell you. The commander took the young man by the hand, drew him aside and asked him, What is it? Do you want to tell me? He said, The Jews have agreed to ask you to bring Paul before the Sanhedrin tomorrow on the pretext of wanting more accurate information about him. Don't give in to them because more than 40 of them are waiting in ambush for him. They have taken an oath not to eat or drink until they've killed him. They are ready now, waiting for your consent to their request. The commander dismissed the young man and cautioned him. Don't tell anyone that you've reported this to me. Then he called two of his centurions and ordered them, Get ready a detachment of 200 soldiers, 70 horsemen and 200 spearmen to go to Caesarea at 9 tonight. Provide mounts 
for Paul so that he may be taken safely to Governor Felix. He wrote a letter as follows. Claudius Lysias to His Excellency Governor Felix, greetings. This man was seized by the Jews, and they were about to kill him, but I came with my troops and rescued him, for I had learned that he is a Roman citizen. I wanted to know why they were accusing him, so I brought him to their Sanhedrin. I found that the accusation had to do with questions about their law, but there was no charge against him that deserved death or imprisonment. When I was informed of a plot to be carried out against the man, I sent him to you at once. I also ordered his accusers to present to you their case against him. So the soldiers, carrying out their orders, took Paul with them during the night and brought him as far as Antipatris. The next day they let the cavalry go on with him while they returned to the barracks. When the cavalry arrived in Caesarea, they delivered the letter to the governor and handed Paul over to him. The governor read the letter and asked what province he was from. Learning that he was from Cilicia, he said, I will hear your case when your accusers get here. Then he ordered that Paul be kept under guard in Herod's palace. So that's our main reading for today. We're not going to turn to the book of Acts. Because sometimes it's uh, really helpful to visualize what's going on. We live in a very visual culture. So if they were acting it out, I like that. Um, you really get a picture of what Paul's going through in his life. The, the circumstances and the difficulties that he's facing. And uh, it's kind of like, anybody enjoy a, a good mystery? You ever read a mystery novel or a murder mystery movie or the game Clue or something where it's a mystery. Uh, Paul reminded me of this this week where it's like an onion uh, mystery slowly being revealed layer by layer, piece by piece. We're learning more. There, every time there's a new group or a new person, there's the Sanhedrin, there's the, uh, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, there's these Roman guys and these other guys and Felix, and we're getting to know all these people. And every time this new character or uh, a group is introduced, it's like another layer is pe peeled off of this mystery. And each person has their own agendas. Each person sees things from a different perspective. Each person that's trying to get after Paul and attack Paul, and they want him to do something, we see uh, just more and more of all these people who are trying to... Uh, falsely accused Paul of being destructive, uh, of causing riots, of doing all this stuff that they didn't like to do that we've been talking about for a few weeks now. And what were they so upset about? That he was proclaiming that Jesus can save everybody, no matter who you are or where you're from. Well, they didn't like that message. <laughs> a lot of these very staunch Jewish, you have to be a Jew first in order to be saved kind of people. But... We see, and I love this, Paul continues such a lesson for us to trust in God. He continues to have faith in God. That's what we're talking about today, unstoppable faith. Even though people continue to talk smack about him, even though people continue to tear him down, even though people continue to falsely accuse him and take him to court and take him to trial and bring up all these fake charges and try to hurt him and even try to kill him. It reminds me of Genesis chapter 50. It's in your notes, but Joseph says this line that is so, so good. Joseph says, as for you, you meant evil against me, 
but God meant it for good. I feel like Paul's in that situation right now. I feel like a lot of people have been in that situation. You meant evil against me. You're trying to hurt me. You're trying to do all these things. But I tell you what, God's going to use it for good. Whatever legal charges or punishments, you know, you're trying to cook up this fake crime that I'm doing. Whatever hardships or pain Paul goes through in his life, Paul knows that God's not done with him yet. That God's got work for him to do. And and even though they're trying to do this evil against him, God's going to bring good out of it. It's kind of funny in a way. uh, The more public exposure he gets for these court cases, they're like bringing him in front of the trials, bringing him in front of all these people. The more they try to attack him, the bigger an audience he gets. And then they're like, okay, uh, we're going to take you, we want to hurt you. And the Roman soldiers are like, this is a riot. This is not going to look good on my record that I got a Roman guy killed. So they're like, okay, we're going to go over to Rome. We're going to go to Centuria. And we're going to take this huge guard with him because 40 people are plotting this plan to to kill you. Well, guess what? God's plan all along was for Paul to go to Rome and to finish his ministry. Do you know most of his, well, a lot of his letters, I should say, these uh, Books in the Bible that we read to the Philippians and to the Colossians and to Timothy. A lot of these letters were written from Paul in a Roman jail cell. He still had Bible to write. And the Roman soldiers were basically escorting him. Like, God's like, Paul, I want you to go over there. And the Roman soldiers are kind of along with God's plan in a weird way that they didn't plan on that. They didn't mean to. But God's will and God's ways happen in... in, I mean, just look at Jesus. How to save the world. Well, he kind of set it up for the Romans and the, uh, the Jewish religious leaders to bash him and do these things. But he had a plan. And Paul knew that there was a plan and he followed God and Jesus even though they're, they're persecuting him, even though they want to kill him. He knows that because of, because of his hardships that God's gospel of Jesus is going out to the not just Jerusalem, but to the ends of the world. He has faith that God is going to do and accomplish what God wants to do and accomplish. Do you and I have that kind of faith? I want to, I want to encourage us a little bit today that no matter what happens in your life, no matter the, the ups and downs or, or the hardships or the difficulties, to still trust in God, to still follow Him. He's got a purpose. He's got a plan. And And he doesn't bring about the craziness and the suffering in the world, but even in your craziness daily with crazy people or co-workers or kids or husband or wife or neighbors or whatever, even in your suffering or your health problems or your financial difficulties, that God is still there right with you. Do you have faith that, that he can wants to continue to use you and work through you even, or we'll say especially, in those difficult times? In the hard times, it's not that God leaves you. He's with us more than ever before. Do we have that faith that no matter what crazy suffering or destruction or or evil is in the world, God is still with us. And he still wants to work in us and through us in great and powerful ways, like Paul, if we let him. I, I have in your notes this thought, just one main thought today. A faith that's been tested is a faith that can be trusted. That's what I want to leave you with. A faith 
that has been tested as a faith that can be trusted. Has your faith been tested? I bet it has. Because we live in a crazy world. A sin-sick world. A faith that has been tested that we still stick with God no matter what. Through the fire and the flames, that's a faith that can be trusted. This was made by uh, our brother-in-law, Rachel's sister's husband, Brad. And he likes to make all this pottery. He works for a pottery shop uh, in Yellow Springs. And he's one of these, he does such beautiful works of art. Cups and mugs and bowls and and plates and all, all kinds of things that he makes. And he's kind of in charge there in different ways. Well, the scriptures talk about a refining fire. Anybody remember verses about this refining fire? Uh, people used it. It's a, it's a metaphor in the scriptures. Uh, iron workers use a fire to shape and mold metals and gold and materials and the pottery. What has to happen in order for the clay and the, the glaze to be set to be strong, to be refined, to be strengthened. What has to happen? You've got to put it in a kiln. And how hot is a kiln? I should have looked that up. I don't even know. It's hundreds and hundreds or maybe thousands of degrees. Brad would know. We'll say thousands of degrees. This uh, metal worker is using as he's banging out the iron. Or as the pottery goes in the kiln. To be refined to be strengthened, to be made strong. And if you didn't do it, it would just be this clay that's sitting out like, you know. Yeah, do you know the temperature, Kai? 2,000. 2,000 degrees. Thank you, Google, a.k.a. Kai. Google through Kai. 2,000 degrees. It's getting kind of hot in here. Ooh, you feel that fire. Anybody ever been in a fiery situation, metaphorically? Hopefully not physically. Where difficulties and sorrow and suffering and your, your ankle breaks and somebody gets sick or gets a disease or you're, you're trying to figure out how to make the money last until the end of the month or you're in a fight with your spouse or your kids rebel or your job might let you go. They're doing cutbacks. The world is a kiln at thousands of degrees. And we are the pot. We are the clay and God is the potter, right? And that fire, it seems harsh at the time. If you've ever been in 2,000 degrees, well, I'll just say you wouldn't be here with us today. But <laughs> if you've ever been in the heat metaphorically, you know that it's hard, that it's hot, that it's difficult, that it's a fiery trial, but that God is there with us strengthening our resolve. I want to, the verse I want you to turn with me today instead of Acts, since he read it, is 1 Peter. This is so, so, so powerful. First Peter, almost near the end of your Bible. First Peter, Second Peter. By the way, if you can't find First Peter, it's right before Second Peter. Does that help anybody? Or is that just a dumb little pastor joke? Okay. First Peter, and then First, Second, Third John, Jude and Revelation. So it's kind of near the end, right near the end. And we see this uh, refining fire happening in Peter's life. First Peter chapter 1, you can turn there. In your Bibles or Bibles apps. Yeah, remember Peter? Do you know Jesus? Do you know him? He's like, no, I don't know Jesus. I don't have anything to do with him. I'm not that guy. Three times. Three times he denies Jesus. Three times. And Peter had some refining fire that happened in his life to strengthen him. And it happens in our lives too. Let's take a look at 1 Peter chapter 1, starting with verse 6. And this is so 
counterintuitive. If somebody told you this, you'd be like, you're stupid. What are you saying? Are you dumb? Why would you ever? But it's true. It's so true how this happens in our life. First Peter chapter 1, verse 6. So be truly glad. There is wonderful joy ahead, even though you have to endure many trials for a little while. These trials will show you that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold. Though your faith is far more precious than gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. Verse 8, you love him even though you have never seen him. Though you do not see him now, you trust him. And you rejoice with a glorious, inexpressible joy. Joy. The reward for trusting him will be the salvation of your souls. Wow. That's powerful. James writes something similar. It's in your notes, but James says, when troubles of any kind come your way, and this is us this week, we're like, yeah, buddy, can't wait for some troubles. Woo! I hate hard things. I can't wait to get into a car accident or lose my job or have financial struggle. No, we don't say that. But James says, <laughs> this, is, this is so crazy. What In our normal fleshly minds, we think, when troubles of any kind come your way, James says, consider it an opportunity for what? Great joy. Really, James? You sure about that? You sure about that? Great joy? You sure about that, James? Yep. He says, for you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. How much are we going to lack? Nothing when we're refined in that fire of testing and trial. Now, I would imagine if I asked you today, anybody want to get beat up? Anybody want to get tortured and killed for their faith? Anybody? Anybody? Bueller? 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 Anybody want to uh, be falsely tried in this court like Paul? Anybody want to have false accusations in the legal system? Yeah, woo, me. Everybody puts their hands up and I can't wait and sign me up. No, nobody says that. Nobody thinks that's a great day to be murdered or martyred for our faith. But yet, when we have a faith that is tested in difficulty, and when we come out on the other side still trusting in God and Jesus no matter what, that is a faith that can be trusted. Trusted. A faith that has been made through fire and trial strong. And immovable. Fire that refines us. The fire that refined Peter. The fire that refined Paul. The fire that refines us in our life. That makes for genuine and true faith. Instead, what a lot of people have is... Uh, I'll share with you three different ways. Uh, um, we'll say a faith that has not been refined. A faith that has not been tested, has not been tried, that maybe we'll say cannot be trusted. I don't know. I don't want to judge people's faith, but I do just want to let you know that uh, there's a faith that's been inherited. Right? 
a lot of people, America, sort of a cultural Christianity, we've got this faith that's been passed down from us, and that's not bad in some ways. It's great that my parents and their parents or whoever, your grandparents, these people passed on this faith to you, but, you know, you live in the Bible Belt, and it's kind of assumed, you just kind of, yeah, sure, I believe in Jesus, whatever, that's fine, yeah, I can, I'll show up to church once in a while, Easter and Christmas, and maybe in a few years, and I'll catch it online, and, you know, but maybe not. Maybe I'll serve, maybe I'll give, maybe I won't. But it, you're just kind of, it's inherited, and a faith that's inherited, that, yeah, my, my grandparents believe, uh, I'm a drug baby, you know, my mommy and daddy drug me to church, right? I'm a drug baby. So it, it's just kind of cultural, kind of what your family does, and you kind of just get it from them. But if it's not your own, it's not... You don't have that personal relationship, that connection with, with God and Jesus. You're, you're leaning on other people for your faith. It's not tested. It's not tried. It's not been through the fire. It's not perhaps real in some ways if it's only inherited. If it's inherited and then uh, you make it your own, wonderful. That, that's what we want to be at. But if it's just inherited, that's, that's not going to get you terribly far and when the trial comes and and the suffering comes and the difficulty comes and the fire wants to refine you you go no i'm good i'm out and you can kind of bail if it's only inherited another uh way well too many people have a shallow faith shallow faith like adults playing in the kiddie pool right this is shallow faith i do that with my little kids but if we're adults and we're playing in the kiddie pool we're missing a lot of depth here aren't we a shallow faith. Jesus talked about the parable of the sower, right? Scattering the gospel seed and some seed uh, had deep roots and it grew up strong and, and genuine and it was trusted. And then other of the gospel seed, it kind of fell on, on rocky soil, right? And the roots, the roots of this faith, of this gospel seed, they didn't get very deep, Jesus said. And so when the trials came and when the suffering came and then when the refinement came, see, there was a little plant that sprung up, but its roots weren't buried hardly deep at all. Very surface level faith. And what happens is when the difficulties came and the suffering came and the trials came and the worries of this life came, there wasn't much roots of faith. He says the deceitfulness of wealth and the love for the things of this world, this little plant withers and dies. Why? Because it wasn't planted deep. It didn't have its roots very deep. Their faith wasn't tested. Their faith wasn't able to be trusted. It was just surface level faith. Kind of almost as similar to the inherited in some ways. Like, yeah, I believe uh, unless things happen to me which go wrong. You know, but I'm sort of plain Christian, but it's not down deep in like my soul, it, my whole being. I just kind of sort of maybe believe when it's convenient or easy. And then we have the conditional faith. I believe in God, sure. I love God, yeah. Uh, as long as, this is a condition, conditional faith, as long as bad things don't happen. As long as the people that I love don't suffer, don't get hurt, don't get sick, don't die. As long as I don't lose my job, oh, I'll trust and believe in you, Jesus. As long as my spouse is good to me, doesn't leave me. As long as my kids don't rebel. As long as I don't have financial struggles and on and on and on. As long as is conditional faith. Not rooted deep. Shallow faith, inherited faith, and uh, conditional faith. Don't, don't be one of those. 
We want real trust. We want to seek after and, and grow. I know we're all in progress. None of us are perfect, but we want to be making spiritual progress along this journey to grow our roots deep. Don't you want your roots to be deep, not just shallow faith? Who wants that? Who wants to play in the kiddie pool? Woo, no. No, we don't want, we want something bigger. We want something better. God has something for us. It's bigger and better faith, faith that can withstand trial and that makes us uh, hardier, you know? Plants that survive the winter, they're hardy, right? They've got their roots or their bulbs buried deep. We want to be hardy, have a hardy faith, faith that can be tested. And on the other side, we're going to come out. I still trust in you, God, no matter what. A lot of times when hard times come, difficulties come, people who have conditional faith, they end up running from God instead of running to God. Because this happened, God can't be real. Why would he allow this suffering in the world? I'm out of here. If God would let this happen, which is just a sinful state of, of the world right now, he's going to perfect it. But if, if God lets this happen right now, then you can't be real. You can't be true. That's conditional faith. No, God is God and God is good no matter what happens in our life to you and me. And I hope and pray that none of us limp along with this inherited or, or shallow or conditional faith. That's not what we want to be. We want to be like Paul and Peter and, after his trial and, and so many others. No matter what happens in my life, no matter what happens in the world, I will still trust and believe and follow you, God. I have faith in Jesus. He is my rock. And my faith cannot be shaken, no matter what, like Paul, these people try to sue, say or do to me or sue me or whatever. I heard this story uh, from a pastor friend in Troy named Michael, and he likes to watch our YouTube channel. So I'll say, hey, Michael, how's it going? Uh, this is, he shared this with me. I, I don't think I'd heard this before, but he told me this story. He wasn't sure if it was true or not, so I looked it up, and apparently... It is true, or at least somebody had a lot, a lot, a lot of details that made it sure seem like it was true to me. So here we go. I want to tell you about this guy named Charles Blondin. Whatever, his name's Charles, right? And he was known as the greatest tightrope walker in the world. And on June 30th, 1859, I believe is the correct date, 1859, he became the first man, the first man, to tightrope walk, this is our PVC pipe, tightrope walk across Niagara Falls. There was a crowd of 25,000 people. This is before they had TV, right? So they didn't have a lot to do, right? Look at this guy. 25,000 people gathered to watch him tightrope walk 1,100 feet on this teeny Tiny little rope across the Niagara Falls. Whoa, 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 And guess what? If he stumbles, if he falls, 160 feet to his death. Right there. He's right above it. Oh, is he going to make it? Is he not? And he did it. He did it. And <laughs> I don't know. Those people, I've seen them in circuses and they can do some incredible things. And he walked across this tightrope and the crowd went wild. Let me hear your crowd go wild. Woo! Ah, whoa! Charles! Charles! Yeah, woo! He did it! This guy is incredible. Like I said, they didn't have TV, so they didn't have a lot to do. So he walked across the tightrope 
and people were excited. Without a safety net, without a harness, he's standing there, walking, all eyes on him, this great chasm, and he made it to Canada. I don't know how excited you would be to make it to Canada, but they were excited he made it to Canada. And he made it back. Now, in the days that followed, okay, of his great mystifying feet, 1,100 feet across the tightrope, he upped the ante, because you always have to up the ante, right? If you do something and people are excited, next time you got to do it better and better, better and add to it and add to it. So he walked across this chasm. He walked across it and he brought a chair and he brought like a camping stove. Not making this up. This is part of the story. He walked and then he sat down on the chair in the middle of the tightrope between Canada and the U.S. with Niagara Falls just down right there. And he brought an egg. And he cooked an egg on the stove. And he ate the egg. And the crowd goes wild. Woo! Yeah, Charles! Nobody? They were excited. You guys might not be that excited. They were excited. Woo! Charles! Charles! Charles in charge. He's doing his thing. And then another time, he brought a wheelbarrow. He's walking across a thousand and a hundred feet on a tightrope. Can you just imagine looking down at Niagara Falls? He's got a wheelbarrow. Like 350 pounds of cement in his wheelbarrow. And he's, he's going along the falls and he does it. He does it. He walks across this tightrope crazy. Stuff that we would never even consider doing. He does it repeatedly. And he doesn't fall. And he's really, really good balanced, I guess. He may be a little, be a little unbalanced up here. But he was very balanced physically. I wouldn't recommend doing that on the falls. It's probably not even legal. I'm sure it's not nowadays. He walked across in stilts. Right? Oh, he's going across in stilts, Trudy. Can you imagine? I couldn't even walk with like a two by four, you know, or, or a four by four or a huge. Pe yeah, no. And we would all be going, ah, and throw up and fall out and die. He did it. He did it. Now, he gets to doing all this stuff, tightrope walking, and he wants to up the ante even more. And he's, everybody's cheering, and he's like, hey, who thinks I can take a person in my wheelbarrow across the tightrope? And they're all like, yeah, you can do it. Do it, do it, do it, do it. Do it, Charles. Charles. You know, they're excited. They're like, yeah, who, who thinks I can do it? Raise your hand. Woo, yeah, yeah. Charles can do it. He can do anything on this tightrope. And then he's like, all right, keep your hands up for who wants to go ride in the barrel across Niagara Falls. And they're all like, Ooh. not me. I'm not going to do it. No way, Jose. Charles, you take him over there, over there. You take her. You take, no, not me. And so Charles is like, if you have faith in me, you you've seen me do it. You believe in me that I can do it. Here I am doing it. You see me, all these people. If you trust and believe in me fully, if you have genuine faith in me, then get in. Hop in. And they're all like, I don't believe that much. You know, like one of these times this guy's going to fall. Now it was a risk. And maybe if you're not a risk taker, Rachel, you wouldn't get in the wheelbarrow and, and trust in him that much. She does not like risk. But here he is, and he's doing all this, and they believe in him. 
so much so, well, maybe not that much so, that they're not willing to get in and go for a ride in a wheelbarrow. Would you? Heck no, we won't go. No, no, no. Nancy, would you get in the wheelbarrow if I pushed you across? No. We would get about six inches and then I would go. And Nancy's like, worst illustration ever. (laughs) Is that us sometimes? I think about that story. That was really good. I I like that. There's this Greek word for, uh, and I'm not going to use this as a weapon, Nancy, I'm not Donatello over here with my bow staff. The Greek word for faith or believe is pistiwo. And it's like a verb. It's like an action word. Now in our, in our English, is kind of weird, we're kind of different, and we say Do you believe in Jesus, right? Do you believe in Jesus? And a lot of times it's like a mental, theological uh, practice. Like, sure, I believe in theory, in my mind, that Jesus existed and is probably the Savior. I believe in my mind. But in the Greek, it's like, not only do I believe in my mind, but I'm going to trust with my life. I'm going to get in that wheelbarrow and Jesus take the wheelbarrow, right? That's, that was bad. I just made that up. It wasn't very good. Jesus take the wheelbarrow and I'm going to trust and I'm going to get in because I trust Jesus so much with my life. No, no, no. We believe that somebody else can do it. That's, that's maybe not as uh, action-oriented faith. We don't want to believe in Jesus just as a, a, a theological exercise, but like Now that I I trust and believe you are who you are, you said you were going to do these things, you did these things, you promised you're going to come back, I trust that you will do that, and now because I believe that, I'm going to live it out with my life and with my actions and with my words and what I do and how I do my relationships and how I do my money and how I do my work. Because I trust and believe in you, I'm going to get in that wheelbarrow and Jesus take the wheelbarrow. I had to say it one more time. I, we don't want to have just a passive faith. We want to have an active, living faith that our, by our lives, by our words, does it prove, does it show to other people what we truly believe? What you do shows what you really believe. And when our faith has been tested, <laughs> boy, Paul and Peter and all the rest and our faith by the trials and fire can really show what we truly believe because we can say words and Jesus is like y'all say stuff with your mouth that your lives are not backing up we don't want to be that Paul called these uh, religious leaders in this Acts 23 he's like whitewashed tombs if you heard that Jesus said that too he's like y'all some corrupt Hypocrites. We don't want to be a corrupt hypocrite. Do you? No, we hate that word. We don't want to be a hypocrite. And so we want our, our lives to line up with our beliefs. We're not perfect. I, I don't mean this to be a, a you suck kind of sermon, you know. But it, it's, I want to challenge and encourage us to put our faith where our mouth is. How about that? They say put your money where your mouth is. Let's put our faith 
where our mouth is and think of faith as a verb an action that backs up what we believe. Will we get in that wheelbarrow? Will we trust? Would you trust? I don't know. Maybe you can think of that visual this week as you go from here. We're going to say our last song. And, ooh. Faith. Do we have unstoppable faith? Like Paul. Like Peter. Like so many people throughout history. That God will do unstoppable things through us because we trust and believe in Him no matter what. We know God has a purpose in my pain. He didn't cause the pain, but He can use the, the evil, the wrongs, the difficulties that have been happening, happening in my life for His good and His glory. So what wheelbarrow do you need to get into this week? A faith. Where will you step out and say, I trust and believe? I've been holding back on doing this. I'm following you in this way, Jesus. But I'm going to step out in faith. And it's scary. And it's a long way down. But I trust that you hold me in your hands. That you've got it figured out. And I will follow you no matter how hard it gets. No matter what happens, like Paul, no matter who says what to me or falsely accuses or beats me. or We know his promises. Do you trust in his promises this morning? That there will be a day when there will be no more sickness or sorrow or pain or tears and death. You, have you surrendered all your life and all your ways to him? I hope and I pray you have. If not, today can be the day of your salvation. But if you have, I praise God for that. Now let's get in that wheelbarrow and let's grow a little bit this week and have, we'll say, true and genuine faith that shows itself. Not just with our words, but with our actions. That's what Paul had, and that's what I want to grow in every day. Will you grow in with me in it? Yes or no? Okay, don't just say yes, because I told you to say yes. Oh, Elaine said we need to say amen more. Can I get an amen? Amen. amen. Would you stay with us and sing praises to our Savior?
Father, you know that surrender is so hard for us. Giving up all that we are for you. And we want to hold on to the little things that our, our sinful nature enjoys and wants to do and wants to be about. But I, hope, uh, I pray that this week you would give us power and help us to have strength and courage to surrender every single area of our lives to you as we seek to trust in you and follow you closer every day in every way. Help us to share with bold, unstoppable courage and hope, the hope that you have in our lives, all because of Jesus and what he's done in our place for our sins. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. In his name, everybody said, Amen. Amen.